Hey, and welcome to this eighth episode of the Pearl Dialogues. My name is Wazi, and I'm a student of the Diamond Approach. And in this podcast, me and Elin, who is my co-host, have conversations with teachers in this school. For those of you who are new to the Diamond Approach, it is a school that explores the nature of reality. It explores our human potential and the adventure of consciousness, including the adventure of being human. So today we have a very interesting conversation where I talk to Andreas, who is a long-term teacher in the school. And we touch upon different topics, including competition and what role that plays uh, versus cooperation and the connection there. We talk about Andreas' experience of himself. So we actually begin this podcast from the deep end where he opens up uh, his soul and shares with us how he is experiencing himself, basically. <laughs> I find things like that very interesting. And it's really relevant with the work that we do in our school. We also talk about hatred and the transformation of hatred and how that transforms into, you'll find out in the podcast. A couple of announcements or sharings before we enter. Um, I would actually like to get to know you, the listeners. Some of you have listened to many of our episodes so far. And with that, I have created a feedback form that it would be so nice if you would take the time to fill out after listening to this podcast or before. That way I can get to know you and I can get some feedback, both constructive and general feedback about how you experience this podcast. At the bottom, you can also tick off if you are open to me contacting you and having a conversation with you. It's very helpful for me to talk with you listeners and to really find out who are you. That helps inform me and inform this podcast and its further development and movement into the future. Another thing that I want to note is that at the beginning of every episode, you've heard a jingle. It's a music piece. And that's actually me playing the harmonium. I play the harmonium. And, but now I am looking for a musician who would be willing to contribute with a theme song for the Pearl Dialogues. So if you hear this message and this touches you, please reach out to me on welcome at yodacommunity.org, which you can find in the descriptions. Uh, and you also find the feedback form in the descriptions. And reach out to me and maybe we can create something. Uh, that can be the theme song for these Pearl Dialogues. That's all I had to say. Um, this podcast episode is about one hour and 45 minutes in total. So if you want to chop it up, listen to it through all the way from the beginning, the first time, it's completely up to you. Like always, I invite you to really be in touch with your experience, sense yourself throughout the podcast, and really participate in the conversation. With that, I say thank you and much love. I want to open this episode by asking you 
What's happening for you right now, Andreas? Well, we just uh, did a few minutes of meditation. And so I became more uh, aware of uh, the depth of what I really am. And then you rang the bell. And as I opened my eyes, I saw your face and uh, uh, you were still uh, with your eyes closed. And then as you opened your eyes, uh, there was a spontaneous, uh, joyful uh, smile that came out. Uh, so it is a combination of uh, the depth. I'm still aware of the depth of what I am. And the manifestation of this joyful, uh, playful uh, manifestation that is here between us. Mm. <laughs> it touches me in my heart when you when you speak and I feel this sense of connection. I feel the connectedness in our field and the heartful quality that's in it. And with it, I also notice that there is a quality of pleasure, uh -huh. a lightness of vibration. And it's very interesting that this is emerging now because today, in particular, but also yesterday, um, on a personal personality level, I've been feeling a bit down, a bit heavy, and also mm -hmm. experiencing uh, frustration, which has to do with One in one aspect of my life, when it comes to my career, there is an element of a strong element of uncertainty and, and lacking a sense of clear direction of where I want to go. Uh -huh. So it's very interesting to be intimate with my personal thread, which is still unfolding, which is so real for me uh, on a personal level, and simultaneously be here with you in our depth and also in this very beautiful sense of connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. And let's see how that uh, question that you are uh, holding about your life and your career might also become part of this interaction and unfold in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so beautiful. Yeah. And, and when you speak of depth, when you speak of joy, um, in, in, in this moment, for, for you, what is depth? What does depth, depth yeah. mean? Yeah, very good question, yeah. Uh, depth is uh, one of those words that have a deep meaning for me. It's like, um, uh, and the, on the surface, you know, if you ask me, who are you? I would tell you my name. You know, there is the, the history, you know, where I come from and 
you know, the different events of my life. But if we go underneath that surface, that facade, that personality, as we call it, who am I underneath the history, underneath the conditioning, underneath the cultural influences, the historical influences, the psychodynamic influences that form this personality on the surface. So, you know, I mean, for me, when I look deeper, I find that, oh, I am a consciousness. And this consciousness is an individual consciousness. You know, and we can call it, I am a soul. I'm a unique soul that has this unique manifestation, unique expression, that also becomes a personality. It's all one. But as I recede deeper and deeper into this consciousness, into this soul, and I question, uh, look with my consciousness, look into, into inquire into, but what, what is this consciousness? There is a depth, there is a deepening, there is a, uh, you can say there is a journeying where I journey deeper into myself and discover deeper and deeper and deeper uh, aspects, dimensions of what I am. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like taking this ring, you know. Mm. And on the surface, you can say, well, you know, oh, they're nice, nice shape, you know. It's, you know, it's a symbol, you know, nice shape ring. Okay, great, <laughs> wonderful. Okay, but what is it? What what is what, what is it in? What is it made of? Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. well, it's made. It's gold. Mm. Oh. It's gold. Okay, so now we know something deeper. It's in the nature, the true nature of this ring is gold. Mm. Yeah. But what is gold? Well, you can say, well, uh, it is a particular uh, element on the periodic system, on the periodic table, right? And has this many you know, electrons and these many protons and so on. I mean, all the chemical composition, but but what is it? What is it? Well, it's made of atoms. Atoms. So you see, we are going deeper and deeper now. We are exploring the deeper nature of this ring is atoms. Wow. Particular kind of atoms. But what are they made of? Well, they are made of, uh, well, 99% empty space. And the remaining are just these particles, you know? And so you can continue inquiring deeper and deeper, but but, but what what are these particles? Well, uh, depending on which theory you you look into, you know, modern physics, you may say, well, you know, string theory. Okay, so these these, uh, particles are made of uh, strings. And I was, well, what are strings? 
they are uh, vibrating. Vibrating what? Vibrating nothing. Can, can I can I share something on that? Uh -huh. Because I mean, we, we we use so many words in in this world to to describe reality, and we define reality through words. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> what comes up for me when we talk about atoms and we talk about you know ninety nine percent empty space. It can easily become so abstract, right? It can become right. concepts upon concepts, and, mm -hmm. and it can make us go more, become more distant <laughs> from like the immediacy of what's happening in this very moment. Yeah, yeah. So, I am so curious about this very question in terms of the depth manifesting in this very moment uh -huh. in our exchange right now. Right. So we have we have that thread of being able to inquire into the nature of things, the nature of physical things. And in this very moment, we're inquiring into reality as it is right now. Mm -hmm. So I feel that I'm very much drawn to, to ask you this question about who am I? Who, who would you say Andreas is? Who, who are you in, a, in the way that you know yourself, in the way that you experience yourself? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, so in the same way that, you know, we can explore the, the cold ring at the surface and go deeper and deeper and find out it is actually empty space. In the same way, you know, as I look deeper and deeper into myself and I see, well, you know, the personality is on the surface and there is deeper, there is this consciousness. But what is this consciousness? When I deep dive into this consciousness here in this moment, the depth is a, a black emptiness. That is a intimate closeness to myself. And if we dive deeper into that emptiness, it's a mysterious kind of emptiness that is a blackness that almost loses its uh, space, spatial dimension. And it is actually an intimate nothingness that is black and mysterious. And you cannot say what it is exactly. And so we say things like, you know, it's a mystery. It's a, you know, and you can say it's nothing, it's potential, it's all, all kinds of words. But, but those are, like you said, they're intellectual concepts, you know. But the experience itself is a very intimate closeness to myself that is quiet, still, peaceful settled nothing <laughs> wait that's wonderful yeah. <laughs> yeah right yeah and that nothing is like it's uh, continually uh, uh, bursting forth mm. Yeah, bursting forth into what we are here right now, into our whole world, you know, 
and into individually is bursting forth into Andreas. Mm. You know, what Andreas is in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. But really speaking, you know, Andreas, this morning, here, this moment, is not the same Andreas that was here yesterday. Mm. Yeah. It's a spontaneous, alive, continually emerging uh, something, manifestation, expression mm. of that depth, of that nothing, of that mystery. Yeah. And so when we know that mystery, when we actually experience it, not know it intellectually, but experience it, it's like we have a, a base, we have a foundation, we have a, a home base. Mm. Yeah, this is my home. Yeah. You know, you know, people ask me sometimes, where are you from? I am from here. Mm. from this depth. Yeah. That is my country. That is my origin. Mm. That is my country. That is my origin. And for context, you know, the people listening to this, you could say that we started at this from the deep end, you know, getting our scuba, scuba diving equipment and really mm -hmm. diving into the moment, diving into ourselves with with this, I, I like to use that metaphor, actually, that you can kind of be on the surface of the water, you can get your snorkel, and then you can dip down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we, we got the scuba di diving equipment and just dive straight to the bottom. <laughs> straight to the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it speaks to, to the many layers of us as human beings. And I feel it's I, I am very moved by your unique expression as Andreas. I do feel that you bring a lot of joy into this world. You bring joy into my heart with, with who you are and, and the unique expression uh, that you are as a soul on this planet, as a human being on this planet. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that is the beauty of our world, of our universe, is that uh, this uh, mysterious depth uh, manifests itself <laughs> in a myriad forms. Huh? Yeah, and yeah, each yeah. one of us is a unique, uh, unrepeatable expression yeah. of that mystery, mm. you know, and some part of that potential of that mystery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that really, I think, attracted me to the diamond approach is that, uh, you know, the, the mystery is uh, the central uh, discovery. But this uh, mystery, uh, which is common to all of us, mm. you know, that is where we are all the same. Yeah. at that depth. But this path uh, values also the surface, mm. you know? So this mystery manifests as a unique individual, and this unique individual is valued in our path, in the diamond approach. It's not like an illusion, or it's not like something to get rid of, it's not something irrelevant, but it is actually very relevant. 
the mystery is manifesting its potential, its uh, mystery, its treasures, as this universe. And each one of us is one of these manifestations, a treasure of the mystery. Mm. And you mentioned, you know, how the mystery, the relevance of the mystery and, and also how, what brought you onto this path of the diamond approach. And I'm curious, you've been on this path for many, many years now. You, you're a teacher, you're an ordained teacher, you're teaching many groups and obviously forever a student of the path. What would you say are some of the, if you, if you, if you, if you would like to share some of the personal struggles or the difficulties that you perhaps met uh, early on on your journey, if you could share some personal stories about some of your difficulties on this path and, and how you see that now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, the exploration is, uh, has always been a, a mixture of uh, challenge, and usually that's how it always starts, uh, you know, a challenge that arises in life. Yeah, and uh, as uh, we explore the challenge, we discover that it holds a treasure inside. Yeah. So I remember one of the challenges, early challenges for me, I was going through a difficult time when I uh, came to this work in uh, back in 1988. And, um, and at some point I, uh, and my teacher said, you know, oh, so you, you hate that person. And I just was so surprised. Said, no, 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 I don't hate anybody. <laughs> you know? So I had a belief about myself that I'm, I'm a nice person. You know, I'm a good person. I don't hate people. You know, I love people. I've been a spiritual seeker since I was a teenager. I walked, you know, different paths and, uh, you know, so it took me a while, actually, to really begin to feel my hatred. You know, I remember, actually, my teacher uh, gave me a task. He said, well, what are you doing this weekend? You know, we were doing a session. And uh, I said, you know, this weekend I'm off. I am not doing anything. My children is, uh, you know, are with their mother and so on. And um, he said, so I want you to get a movie, a particular movie. The crow and watch it. You know? And so I got this movie, The Crow, you know, which is a story about a man that uh, is walking with his fiance and these, uh, you know, uh, gangsters attack them and they. Uh, they rape his fiance in front of him, then they kill her and then they kill him. Yeah. So he comes back as a crow. His soul comes back and picks each one of them one at a time, yeah, and kills them. And the whole movie was so full of hatred that at first I had difficulty really watching it. I was like, whoa, you know. 
But I just kept watching the movie. I don't remember how many times I watched it over the weekend, probably, you know, six, seven times. And, uh, and gradually I started really touching into that hatred, you know, which was such a contradiction uh, in comparison to my self-image the belief about myself that I'm a good person, I'm a loving person, yeah? But I discovered that inside, underneath that love, which is also true, and that good person, <laughs> there was also a lot of hatred, yeah? And that was a big challenge for me, uh, because it felt that if I accept this hatred, if I have so much hatred in me, then how can I be a good person? How can I be a loving person? There was the fear that the hatred will destroy the love. Yeah. So it was a, st a struggle for a few months for me to really uh, make peace with this hatred and allow myself to feel it and actually go deeper in it. And to my surprise, the hatred actually led to a sense of peace. It transformed, yeah, it changed. So inside the hatred, there was a treasure. And that's one of the things that I love about this uh, path, is that any experience in life, even the worst, what we consider the worst, like being hateful, have in them something to teach us, some treasure, some truth that they can reveal to us. Yeah? So our hatred, my hatred became actually a, a main doorway into peace, you know, which is very close. This peace brings us very close to that depth that we touched in earlier on, you know, that mystery, you know, because that peace is a black presence that is very still, very quiet, very settled. And from there, it's just a, a little, you know, it's like a continuum into the complete mystery. So that's one of the challenges that was there for me uh, at the beginning. I think that's a, a difficult thing for most people, you know, confronting our hatred, then accepting our hatred, and then staying with the hatred, inquiring into it and working with it. And there is an alchemical process in the, that the diamond approach uh, teaches us, that if we actually stay present to an experience, not staying with the experience in the sense of wallowing in it or identifying with it, you know, that doesn't do much. But if we stay present to it, it's like being aware, remaining aware of what we are, a presence, and staying present to the experience, that presence transforms that experience. It uh, opens it up. And alchemically, uh, it reveals the depth 
of the experience. It reveals what's underneath it. Yeah? So if we go into the hatred, for example, you will find, most of us will find that inside the hatred, there may be fear. There may be a sense of powerlessness. Or there may be a deep hurt. You know, that somebody hurt me very deeply. And so the hatred is a, an attempt to defend myself against this hurt and not allow the hurt to happen again. You know, also the hatred is uh, intending to destroy the other person so that they cannot hurt me again or hurt them at least so that they know what it feels like to be hurt. Yeah. So they won't do it again. So, so you see, when we really go into the usually we say the hatred, oh, no, 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 don't feel it, don't feel it, that's bad. Mm. You know? It is true that hatred can be very bad in the sense that if we act it out, if we actually act the hatred out and uh, and and uh, engage in hateful actions like shooting people and hurting people and you know on a grander scale going to war you know countries invading other countries and you know killing you know a lot of people so hatred can be very destructive of course you know so we don't want to act it out but if we don't explore it if we don't understand it if we don't open it up and find what is this made of what is this a reaction to mm. what is this trying to do and then go deeper and find you know oh i'm hurt you know well when i'm hurt when i'm hurt is it hatred that i need or is it compassion that i need what would heal my heart my wound hatred Hatred doesn't heal the heart. Hatred encases the heart in an icy hardness. You know, I remember Hamid saying that the heart encased in hatred, you cannot hurt it. It's you know, the hatred becomes a, a protection, you know, mm -hmm. but it's a protection that also closes down the heart. And then we cannot feel. We cannot uh, be sensitive. We cannot be attuned to other people or even to ourselves. And of course, you know, the heart is what makes us human more than anything else. You know, it's not our mind. Our mind is important. But what makes us truly human is really the heart. We even say, you know, I mean, a person that is not intelligent, we don't say it's, you know, she or he are inhuman. We say, you know, they are stupid or they are this or that, you know, we have different names. But a person that is insensitive to others, that hurts others, we say they are inhuman. Very interesting. That the heart, actually, we know, all of us, we know, that the heart is what defines us, is what makes us human more than anything else. Hmm. I feel there are many, many pathways we could take from here. You, you've oh, yeah. on so many <laughs> points, huh? <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, yeah, wonderful sharing what you share about the hatred, mm -hmm. the 
compassion and this last point about how having heart is what makes a human human and i've been thinking about that reflecting on that because another th a parallel that comes to me is i've seen animals with heart yeah i've seen dogs with heart so yeah, yeah. i don't so i feel that it is a characteristic that can also Maybe not all dogs necessarily, or maybe I, I don't know really. I I, I feel I'm 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 open to it um, because I I definitely know I've seen dogs who who seen someone suffering, maybe their owner, and they've moved into 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 caressing the owner or su supporting the owner some one way or the other, which which for me shows a lot of heart. Right. Absolutely. So it's clear that animals, or at least some animals, I can imagine dolphins as well, um, maybe uh, killer whales, also have heart. So I reckon yeah, yeah. Um, it seems to be a characteristic of, of multiple species uh, of animals. Mm -hmm. how, how do you feel that relates to, to what you're saying about you know, the heart is what makes human humans? Right. Yeah. You know... All uh, life and life forms are on a continuum. Uh, evolution is a continuum. Life is continually evolving and manifesting different forms and different uh, species and different organisms to express its potential, which is that mystery manifesting the livingness of that mystery, yeah? and then expressing and manifesting the different forms. So it is true, many animals express heartfulness, express, yeah? and yet from what we see, what we know, a human being can express that heart in uh, many, many more ways. And, uh, you know, as far as we know, how a human heart can actually dive into the depth and experience that mystery. We are not aware, I haven't heard of anybody yet being aware that it's like, you know, when you see somebody that some people have the sensitivity to be aware of, like you were saying earlier, you feel what I was expressing, you feel what I was feeling, right? So many times we can feel into animals and feel, what do they feel? Yeah. And as far as I know, nobody has felt that uh, this animal is experiencing the mystery. You know, the closest, the closest that I have come to that was, I remember one many years ago, I took my daughter, little daughter to the zoo. And we came to the enclosure where there was an elephant. Yeah. And he was standing there. And I remember I looked at him and for some reason we connected. I felt connected to the elephant. And inside I felt this heaviness. And he was quiet and he was still. But it was not a mystery. It was a heaviness and a stillness that had a lot of sadness in it. Which makes sense being in a zoo, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I felt, 
this elephant is trapped here. Mm. He's sad. Yeah. He's sad. So, animals do have feelings. Mm. Yeah, and so they have a heart also. But when you think of that animal, it's like, what is their most poignant manifestation? Is it his trunk? Is it the bigness of his body? Or is it that he's able to feel and have a heart? So I think the heart is really the most important thing because it actually encompasses the sensitivity and, uh, and can branch into the intelligence and into the depth, into the mystery. But I think, as human beings, uh, when we disconnect from our heart, then we cannot be attuned and we cannot have access to the uh, qualities of the heart that are compassion and love and joy. You know, and then our intelligence can become destructive, you know, without the attunement, without the sensitivity, without the love, without the compassion. What we create uh, then becomes uh, guided by something else. It's not guided by the expression of the highest qualities of a human being. You know, love, compassion, generosity, kindness, uh, you know, inclusivity, uh, wanting to help each other, you know, cooperation. Yeah. Uh, then there is, uh, you know, hardness and there is uh, hatred and there is uh, competitiveness and there is, uh, you know, so win-lose kinds of things, uh, situations. Yeah, it's a, it's a very f interesting topic, I find. Um, and the what comes to me is the different degrees of union or the, the level of union that a human being can experience, the level of union an animal can experience. Um, mm -hmm. Can, for instance, a bunny or a rabbit sitting on the plains, closing their eyes, who look apparently completely blissed out, are they experiencing the mystery? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. So, so it right. seems to be, and also the, the, the degree of intelligence, when, we sp when you earlier spoke about how the myriad of ways um, human beings can express the heart is, is, and the variety of ways is very unique to human beings. Although, you can also see dogs being able to right. express uh, a variety of ways. Usually, um, mm -hmm. it seems like human beings are more complex organisms somehow that allows us to express it uh, right. with greater degrees of variety and also, yeah? Yeah. You, want to say you know, that is at least that is what we believe. We are human beings. We believe we are better. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think this is another characteristics of human beings, no? Where did the dolphin or the elephant or the bunny actually experience these things? I don't know. <laughs> but they do.
interesting thing is that, you know, I'm not talking to elephants because they don't understand my language. Yeah. I'm talking to human beings and I'm saying, hey, human beings, you know, my brothers, my sisters, this is what is possible for us. Yeah. Let us dive into our depth. Let us experience our depth. Yeah. And let us then come from that depth and express the higher qualities of that mystery, of that true nature that we are, the love, the compassion, the joy, the generosity. And let us create the civilization. Let us create a world that is a, a, an expression of that, of those qualities, rather than it is an expression of the opposite. I subscribe right? to that vision, my friend. I yes, subscribe to that good. vision. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the red thread there for me is, and I know this is a, is a cornerstone of the diamond approach, uh, and loving the truth and falling in love with the truth. And how right. when that opens in a soul, that in of itself becomes um, such a universal uh, integration into one's the way one approaches life and how mm -hmm. one starts to appreciate the full human the full spectrum of experience and there is another dimension added to life that is not about pleasure or pain but rather there is a a true curiosity tr a true devotion a true interest a true love for right. life as it is and reality as it is yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and that is one of the things that I love about this path. It is a path that is practiced in the world. Yeah. So we don't just isolate ourselves. We don't just retreat into a monastery or an ashram or the cave in the Himalayas or whatever. That's fine if people want to do that. I'm not saying it's bad. But this path is a path that is in the world. We practice in the world, and then we endeavor to not only realize our true nature. Realize means to experience it and, uh, and feel this is what I am. So it becomes a reality. That's what realize means. It's not to just have an experience of it here and there or to believe that's what I am. But it is actually to experientially know it and know it most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's not only about realization, but it is also about embodiment. So we want to embody that realization, bring it into our bodies, and then our bodies become the vehicle through which then this soul is expressing this realization in the world. So then our actions can become actions of love, actions of compassion, actions of generosity. And then what we create can be actually a positive thing, can be actually a, a something that evolves humanity, that evolves uh, our society, our, uh, uh, you know, Hmm. the way that we live life on this planet. Yeah. If, you look, uh, if you look at this point, I mean, you know, what are our societies, uh, you know, uh, built around? You know, they are built around the uh, instincts. Hmm. 
you know, and primarily the survival instinct. <laughs> you know, it's all about survival, making money, you know, having sex, you know, multiplying, having more money, you know, and then <laughs> and then power, right? Yeah. But if you look at it, all of these are actually instinctual drives, instinctual and distortions of the instinctual drives. It's like, you know, the the instinctual drive, the survival drive can be distorted by greed. Mm. Right? But where is the heart in that? So if you look at it, it's like, you know, well, our society is not operating on the basis of heart, is operating on the basis of instinctual drives and survival, mm. and then fear and competition and uh, uh, you know, greed and so on and so on. So can we actually create a world? It's probably gonna take, you know, a few hundred years, <laughs> you know, a few centuries maybe, but why not begin to move in that direction? Mm, why not? Why not begin to see the potential? And I think this is what uh, you know, spirituality, true spirituality. I think mm. you know that is not a belief system. You know, and that's the other thing that I like about the Diamond Approach. It doesn't ask you to believe anything. Mm. Discover for yourself. Actually, many times when I start a new group or I I talk to talk to new people, I always tell them. Don't believe anything I tell you. If you believe what I am saying, I have failed. Because now I just started creating a new religion, <laughs> a belief system. No, no, no. If you take what I'm saying and you actually become curious and you actually start inquiring and discovering, is it true for you? Is what I'm saying, this mystery, this deep, true nature, is it true? If you discover it for yourself, great, wonderful. If you just believe in it, eh. And, and not to say that belief is not useful, because on, on, on certain legs of the journey, beliefs, you know, exchanging one paradigm for another that is more healthy can actually contribute, contribute to a blooming. And I'm speaking in this case from my own experience, because initially early on on my journey, I was engaged with this, um, this philosopher and this physicist who, who suggested that the meaning of life is evolving towards love. Uh -huh. And initially, when I heard that, and I heard his reasoning for that, I started to believe in it. Right. And it was through the belief that I eventually began to discover the love. But I needed to start with an entry belief in mm -hmm. order to really kickstart me, you could say, right. in the direction and have a sense of direction because I didn't have the capacity um, and the awareness and the wisdom uh, of, of true curiosity. I hadn't developed my faculties yet. So I also see the role of belief and how it can, can play a role, a certain leg of the journey, like, like it's support wheels. And then eventually, okay. eventually you, can, you, can, you have the capacity to, to truly discover and, and go beyond that. Do you see yeah, what yeah. you're saying? I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that is, uh, you know, that that can be seen. Yeah, that, we can see it that way. Yeah, and uh, and I I prefer it. Uh, I prefer it in a little different way. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And the way that I look at it is this: when you heard that physicists say life is evolving towards love, yeah, did you believe it, or did you feel something in you? resonated with that it was both it was both it was both it was a combination yeah. you know right yeah so it was intuitive and also it was intuitive exactly lecture. right yeah so i think that uh, we can make a differentiation between a belief that is blindly believed yeah. because somebody says authority says you know yeah and faith that is based on some in, some intuition, some experience, some inkling in the human soul that says, oh, life is evolving towards love. You know, something in my heart immediately when you said that is like, oh, so something resonates in that. Yeah. And so it reflects a truth that I already know that is not explicitly in me. And I would call that faith. Uh -huh. I see. Faith in the truth that I already know or that I discover. Mm. You know? And I may form a belief about it, but the belief can become actually an obstacle. Because if I believe I already now know the truth, then I close the book and I don't discover new truths. 100%. Yeah. I mean, exactly. riffing on that, any belief that we hold will become an obstacle or is exactly right. It's just exactly to how, exactly how big of an obstruction it is for us. And exactly right. I think the discrimination you made there is, is, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I prefer to say faith, because faith is a living moment by moment. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not experiencing the mystery right now, but I remember I did experience it many, many times before. So I have faith that the mystery continues to exist. And so I can dive in and I can discover it again and I can connect to it again. Yeah. So yeah. it's a living yeah. thing instead of something that is dead. Right. <laughs> Structure, yeah. Right. And you can see this, uh, like, you know, I, I always like to see things instead of black or white as a continuum, yeah. which is more accurate. So you can say that, you know, faith, 100% faith is on this end, and 100% belief is on this end of the spectrum. And somewhere in between there, there is faith that is mixed with belief, mm. you know, which is like a, a mental representation of that faith. Yeah. But at the extreme will be a belief that is devoid of faith, that is just not based on reality, not based on experience. Mm. And that kind of belief can become an obstacle. For sure. Yeah. So we talked about ha hatred and then we moved in, the, in, 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 in this direction. Um, uh -huh. You talked about how your hatred transformed into peace and maybe other aspects as well. Would you say now that your hate is gone completely? No. 
you know, when we say, is your hate gone? It implies that there is a certain quantity of hatred somewhere residing. Is it gone? Mm. I don't think there is a, something like that, you know, a quantity of hatred. Now, how many pounds of hatred do you have? There is no such thing. But rather, the way I perceive it, the way I understand it, is that there is the, my soul has, my consciousness, my individual consciousness, you know what we call the soul, has the capacity for hatred. So when certain conditions are met, you know, are there, like I'm hurt or I'm, you know, afraid somebody's going to hurt me or whatever, then my soul has a capacity to manifest hatred. Hmm. My soul still has the capacity to manifest hatred. But because I have many, 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 many times taken that hatred, inquired into it, sensed into the depth of it, and it transformed into peace and true power, the power that, oh, wow, I am actually, wow, I'm not powerful. You know, it's like at the very, when you actually transcend hatred or the hatred is transformed, it transforms into this peace that is also power. It is a vast, big, massive presence that is black, that feels, wow, there is nothing more powerful in the universe. This is the epitome of power. And when you feel, when I feel that power, I feel nobody can hurt me. Yeah, people can hurt my body, but nobody can hurt what I really am. So there is a power, and also there is a power to be what I really am. It is the power to be ourselves. It's not power over other people. Yeah? Power of other, other people is not what true nature exemplifies. It's not what true nature teaches. Love between people, cooperation, compassion, is what true nature teaches, brings forth. So when I feel that power, when I feel that deep power, yeah, then it becomes more easy for me over time. It has become more easy when some circumstance arises, instead of moving into hatred, I move into power. Mm. See? So in that sense, you can say that there is a lot less hatred in me now. I still have the capacity to hate, but why hate when I can have power? It's like, why have the counterfeit when you can have the real thing? Mm. Because hatred is counterfeit power. It's not real power. You know, the hatred inside of it is full of fear. And, and yeah. so, yeah, so everything you make sense, everything you say makes sense to me. That said, as human beings, we're limited, right? So we have egos and 
we don't have full control or we don't have control over our own, our, our own existence. So out of the blue, hatred can come and can whip us off the pin and suddenly we, we are hating and there be, might even be a blip of identification with that hatred. Sure. It may linger for months or for a week or for a day, depending on what is triggered. So I feel mm -hmm. that it's a very nuanced picture at the same time. Um, yes. Because, you know, it's a, it's a very wonderful and also a meaningful notion of, you know, how hatred is a counterfeit of power and why have hatred when we have power at the same time, we're not in control. <laughs> so, so yeah. you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We are limited as human beings. Yeah. And yet our true nature is unlimited. Yeah. Boundless. This is it. This is it. Exactly. Yeah. So to the degree that I'm identified with my humanness, I have limitations. Yeah. To the degree that I experience myself as this depth of true nature, this mystery, I'm unlimited, unbounded. Yeah. And this is a continuum. Yeah, exactly. And reality. And we all exactly yeah. and and we all find ourselves somewhere on this continuum all the time, traveling, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, and so being on the path, you see, being uh, a student of the diamond approach opens this avenue, yeah. this highway, yeah. so that we can actually be traveling to our depth and be living our life on the surface without losing this connection to our depth. And so then our life can become more and more an expression of the treasures that lie in this mystery, this depth, what we really are, our true nature. Mm. So riffing on, onwards from that, what do you see is the role of competition? I know I know that I, I mean, growing up, I was extremely competitive in uh -huh. sports, in, in particularly in things that matter to me. Yeah, so football, meaning soccer, and also generally in life, I, I, I had this sense of competitiveness. And mm -hmm. when we look at our society today, we glorify uh, athletes and and people who are famous. And competition also seems to bring or give give rise to exceptional brilliance in cases in some cases uh, we, when you look at athletes so many of them are highly competitive and 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 that competi competitiveness seem to actually also drive drive their choices and drive their their life somehow into a kind of mastery mastery of a certain domain, a certain sport. So how do you see the role of competition, which I also believe, or I, I imagine a lot of the people listening can, can also relate to, because competitiveness can arise at the workplace, it can arise with friends, family, and so forth. Yeah. Well, this is a very interesting topic, actually, a controversial topic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, many, many years ago, I read a book. The title was The Case Against Competition. And this author made the case against competition very clearly. 
let me ask you this. You say athletes compete with each other and that is what makes them, ex it helps them excel. Did Einstein compete against anybody to become excellent? Did Mozart compete against anybody to become excellent? Beethoven? Uh, Picasso? Some of the greatest human beings on the planet achieved their greatness not by competing, actually, they were cooperating with their uh, uh, colleagues. Mm -hmm. An example is, you know, the human genome. You know, when when people started, uh, scientists started uh, uh, the task of uh, mapping the human genome, they thought it was going to take decades. But somehow, they actually created a cooperative uh, system and so the the different teams around the world started cooperating with each other. They accomplished the task in a much much shorter time. Yeah. So I think that competition uh, is glorified within a certain a particular socioeconomic political system. When you look at it, you know, and people intuitively they say, well, yeah, of course, without competition, the athlete will not become. No, 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 no. Do you play sports? Do you like a sport, a particular sport? Is there one sport that you like? Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah. for instance, I, I used to play football, so soccer. Soccer, yeah. Now, what do you like about it, if you really look at it? Is it the competition that you like, or is it... The smooth movements. I used to play soccer when I was in in high school in, uh, you know, in Cyprus. And uh, you know what I loved about it was actually the cooperation between my team. You know, and how we would actually just you know evade the other people. It was not a competition. The most pleasure I got was when we would just operate so smoothly and just make the goal. Yeah, you know? it was not that. We won over the other team. Yeah, there was also that. Yeah. But the most pleasure was actually the cooperation and the smooth functioning of the team to achieve the goal. But I feel this is an important thing as well, because you said it is. it was also that. So I feel we cannot negate that part of ourselves either. So I, I, I'm right. opening the conversation around competition. Right, right. Because right, right. You you mentioned examples of people who are who in some sense was very much in tune with their gift, with their true nature, and it came to expression through Einstein to Pablo Picasso. But if you look at many athletes today, for instance, Michael Jordan, highly competitive human being, Tiger Woods, highly competitive human beings, and some of these people are also controversial, controversial, but they developed extreme levels of mastery and in that mastery you can also see the manifestation of brilliancy at times so right. i do feel that it's a nuanced picture and a nuanced picture yeah yeah you can't kind of just cut it down to competition being bad cooperation being good uh, in, in 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 a black white kind of sense no, no, no. I think that probably we can look at it on a continuum again. <laughs> yeah, let's make it a continuum. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, so extreme competition yeah. means that I have to win at, the, at any cost. And then you see people actually undermining the other, their opponents 
in order to, to win. And you see that competition between nations today, where people are willing to go to war and undermine others and sanction and all kinds of crazy things that are really not helpful to humanity. Yeah. So I think that there is a, a spectrum that we need to really become aware and really come from, it's like, where does it come from, this competition? I have to win yeah. at your expense. Why? You know, I'm reminded of a story I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is a real story of somebody made it up. Somebody was actually making the case for 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 cooperation. And he said he went to, he was some kind of scientist, and he went to a, a in Africa, and he was... Uh, 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 exploring and studying this particular tribe. And uh, he did an experiment with these children. So there were a bunch of children and he told them that, you know, okay, we are all going to sit here. And he said, over there, I've put a basket under the tree with a lot of sweets in them. And when I count to three, you will all run, and whoever gets there first can take the whole basket of sweets. And the children were puzzled, and they looked at each other. And the man just counted one, two, three. And all the children got up, they held hands, they ran together, they got this back, the basket and distributed the, the sweets between them. And the man was very curious. He said, why didn't one of you run faster to catch all the sweets and get them and be happy? Then you will be happier. And the children said, uh, how can I be happy if all my friends are not? For me, for me, this, this rings true what you're saying. And, I, and I've seen that. I've seen that. A sense of family. I can I've, I, particularly. What well, well, it reminds me of Africa. Actually, it reminds me of places in Africa where I've been, where where they are so uh, attuned to each other, and there is such a deep brotherly love that whatever they have, they share among them in a brotherly fashion, and and they, you know, they they enjoy pleasure together. They suffer together. Is is yeah. you know that is is the context. <clears throat> now. We've talked about this vision of a, of, a, of a new or a civilization that evolves towards love, where cooperation is is um, you know is is what defines our connection, and we are uh, living out of love. We're living out of our heart, while at the same time applying all the different faculties of our consciousness, including intelligence. Um, functioning, being efficient, and simultaneously creativity, joy, and so forth. So in this vision, um, I, I wonder if, if, let's say, we were to evolve greatly as a species, maybe some of these sports would die out. Maybe competition would look like maybe there wouldn't be that much competition. Maybe, maybe it would look very differently and, and we would engage in a different way. So, we, right. so it does make, there is a myriad of possibilities. And, and myriad of possibilities, yeah. Yeah, it could become that, you know, we play soccer and the emphasis is on the, you know, instead of creating people according to how many goals they made, they grade them according to 
which team was operating in the smoothest possible way and expressing the highest level of respect to the opposing team. Why can't sport become that? <laughs> <That's a good laughs> <question>. <laughs> Who says it has to be like, you know, just knock it <laughs> and hit them and hit them over there, you know, to win. Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know, as human beings, yeah. expressions and our sports, our uh, businesses, our societies, our way of organizing our economy are all expressions, our political systems, they are expressions of who we are. Mm. I think that as we become more of what we really are as human beings, our deeper nature, we discover that our deeper nature is love, is compassion, is intelligence, is joy, is pleasure. Then we begin to actually manifest forms that actually reflect those. It's like if you look at a loving person, meets another loving person, and they have a very loving relationship. Mm. And they get married and they have children and they have a very loving family. Natural extension of that for me is that if enough of us begin to live our true nature, then we'll have a loving family, human family, a loving civilization. Mm. And I, yeah. I, can, I can hear your passion for that. I can really, yeah. how you really burn for that uh, vision. Yes. Yeah. I think some people may say, you know, that's a utopia. <laughs> yes. You know? I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, somebody, uh, I think somebody, what is he? He's from, uh, he's from Europe somewhere. He wrote a book and he said, you know, uh, some kind of a utopia, you know, a realistic utopia. And they asked him, she said, you know, but this is a utopia, what you're proposing. He says, yes. Utopia means it doesn't exist anywhere yet. Mm. That's how we progress. We have an ideal that we strive for, we work for, and we move towards. That is how we progress as humanity. Mm. You know, we create ideals of democracy, for example, ideals of prosperity for our country, and we move towards that. Why can't we create ideals of prosperity and cooperation among all human beings so that nobody is left behind? Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is, yeah, I, 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 I resonate with what you say. Um, and another kind of counterpoint that comes to my mind is how we as human beings often have incomplete ideals in our mind that are not right. true ideals so we we evolve in a skewed way and we really never we, we may move towards that ideal but the ideal in the first place is unwholesome incomplete is not mature so it's exactly. really 
you know, who can create, in order to manifest an ideal that is appropriate, that is mature, there needs to be inborn or inherent wisdom and love that is already present. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So I think that, you know, I mean, the Dhamma approach, of course, doesn't prescribe any particular uh, way of organizing our society, doesn't have a political system that it proposes or socioeconomic system or anything like that. It is purely a spiritual path. Yeah. However, because it is a path that we live in the world and we express our realization in the world, we can see how that can extend from that depth of realization of the oneness. Mm. When we realize we are all one, at that mystery, at that depth, we feel we are all one. It is one being, one superorganism. The whole universe, the whole manifestation, it is one superorganism that is manifesting spontaneously and evolving out of this mystery. When you feel that oneness, then the tendency is, like my body is cooperating, the different organs within my body are cooperating and functioning to maintain a certain optimal homeostasis that we call health. Then we can also create a society that can cooperate in a dynamic way that all of its members work together to create an optimal homeostasis, a healthy society, a healthy humanity, a healthy planet. Mm. Because that extends beyond humanity, cooperating with nature, cooperating with our ecosystem, rather than exploiting our ecosystem. Yeah. And destroying our ecosystem is like burning the house to keep the house warm. Like, who does that? <laughs> and on this, um, I, I completely hear you. And, and this, I, I think that within a certain civilization, this, what we're speaking of is re realistic. That it is yeah. realistic to, to live in such a place which yeah. would involve that there is a system and a civilization that is illuminated to a very high extent, right? That, yeah. that is aware of the principles of existence, that is living primarily out of true nature, and naturally this more utopian world would manifest. That said, in our day to day, we, it, we are in such in a difficult situation. And I know when, we, when I look at the world, when I look at my environment, when I look at where we live, there is suffering, there is struggle. Even human beings, also human beings who sub subscribe to this utopia are struggling in so many ways. It can be, you know, having to make ends meet financially, feeling that we're in a job uh, that doesn't really, where we, we're not able to, really fulfill our talents or, and live out our purpose, live with a sense of purpose, being in systems or having to operate in systems that are inefficient, that are outdated, while we have, you know, many people feel that they have, you could say, updated their operative system, they still have to interact with the system. So the world itself, where it is right now, imposes a lot of limitations on the human life who is being born today. And yes. I know so many of us, if not most of us, 
are really struggling with that. Yeah. And experiencing frustration with that system, uh, anger, and also you could say <clears throat> maybe also lack the support network or the mirroring in order to grow even further so it's it's a really difficult situation how do you how do you how do you see that and 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 how do you hold that personally yeah personally i believe that we are given a task by life by true nature by evolution and true nature says andreas I'm giving you this intelligence, I'm giving you this realization, so that you can see what is possible. And I, I'm giving you the capacity to work, to bring it about in as little or as big a way as you can. So I don't see it as we are passive uh, victims, of our circumstances or our society or our uh, whatever it is, you know, like all the things that you said, the system or whatever it is. But rather, we are active participants in all of this. We are active participants in the human family, in the human society, in the system. Let me meditate. Let me realize who I really am. Let me realize that I am one with everyone, that I am love, that I am compassion, and then let me emerge from my meditation, and then work cooperatively with my brothers and sisters that I am one with, and let us work together and talk together. How can we create? How can we manifest? How can we overcome the obstacles that are in our way and turn this world into a better, a better reflection a more accurate reflection of what we realize in our meditation. I hear you. I hear you. And it makes fully sense to me what you're saying. At the same time, when we live in a society that are not necessarily oriented towards presence, they're not oriented towards truth, you have to interact with what is, right? So yeah, yeah. cooperation, there is plenty of people who don't want to cooperate. So then we have to obviously deal with that situation. So yeah, I'm yeah. all for having, you know, an approach that meets life where it, where it is, takes full responsibility for our own existence, really are accountable for our own life and simultaneously, you could say, vulnerable to our own situation and, and yes. where we're at, yeah? At yeah. the same time, it is real that most, like you said in one of your videos, this world it, it, it revolves around the instincts and, 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 and around ego. And ego doesn't necessarily want to co cooperate. So many people are faced with, you know, having a sincere desire to cooperate, but most of us are not living in a spiritual community. And most of us, I mean, uh, most... Some people obviously uh, have the, the great uh, gift and grace of primarily interacting with people who are spiritually oriented, 
meaning uh, if they're spiritual mentors or they're a part of, you know, a diamond approach teachers, like your peer group would probably be uh, mostly people within the school and obviously people around, friends and so forth. But for people who, 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 who maybe have a normal job within the world, then that sense of being able to cooperate won't come as easy because yeah. there is so much resistance in the yeah, world. Yeah. So many people, they don't, want, they, they, don't, they, they don't want to look at themselves. They don't right. want to be mirrored. They want to keep it on the surface. So right. I do feel that it's a very nuanced picture. On, uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Problem. Right. I agree with you. And I think it will become a very frustrating thing uh, if we only look at how the world is not going to cooperate with our vision. But if we start looking at, okay, great. So this is the challenge in front of us. There is a world that is already set in the passions. Is already organized around the passions and the instinctual drives. And we want to transform it into a world and a society based on the virtues. How do we do that? And consider it our challenge, our task. I hear you. But at the same time, I feel, I feel in some sense that that task is a, in of itself, although I, I, on one level, I feel it's a true task. Mm-hmm. I feel that also having, in order to really come into a space of acceptance, we have to go beyond the challenge itself or the narrative of a challenge, right? So just live out our life and, 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 and unfold as we are, because essentially the task itself, what am I trying to say here? So throughout this conversation, I feel that we're speaking, we're, we're balancing each other out somehow because you, we, uh, in the sense that we're talking from this continuum and, and trying to uh, illuminate or bring a spotlight on this continuum of life, which is, is fundamentally in this mystery. We will never be able to encapsulate it through words or through this conversation. At the right. same time, we're pointing at certain principles and and we are both curious and interesting in what is the optimal way like what is the what you know the nature of the optimizing force of being and and how to navigate this mm-hmm. this human life in a way that is wholesome in a way that is progressive in a way that is truthful right so yeah and i don't have the prescription for it no i don't think anybody has But I think we can attune ourselves as much as we can to the optimizing force, you know, of the creative dynamism of existence. There is an optimizing force, optimizing thrust. For each individual, that optimizing thrust is easier to tune into. But also, we can begin to tune into the collective optimizing force and begin to really tune into the intelligence inherent in true nature of how to optimize our societies, our world, 
our planet, the way we live on the planet as human beings, in relation to each other and in relation to the planet. I think we can, there is an optimizing force for that also. And I think we can begin to tune into that. So what I'm trying to say here is not that I have a prescription, I don't. I don't have the way and say, okay, here are the steps we need to follow, but rather awakening ourselves to that possibility. I remember a long time ago, it was back in the early 90s here in Colorado. And I was at our Ritwan Center, you know, the old one that burned down last year. And, uh, and I was in the Diamond Heart Three program. And Hamid used to come to Colorado every three months back then, you know, and teach a weekend. And every time he would come, he would come on a Thursday, you know, and then Thursday evening, he would come and talk to DH3. He give us a talk. And then on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he would teach the whole group. This particular night, Thursday night, I remember it so vividly. Hamid was sitting on the west, no, it was on the north side of the room. And the rest of us were sitting in a semicircle around him. And I was sitting in the front row to his left. And he was talking about the potentialities of the soul. He was talking about, you know, and he said, you know, and there are all kinds of potentialities in the soul. There is, you know, you can actually apply inquiry and discover the potential in any field, in art, in science, in politics. And I remember when he said in politics, I chuckled. I said, <laughs> and he turned to me and says, oh, I said, what's so funny? <laughs> I said, oh, I said, you know, Inquiry, inquiry is about truth. And you said, politics. <laughs> I said, it's all about lies, politics. Oh, he said, I thought you have a Greek background. What about Plato, the philosopher king? Oh. Oh. Ah, I said, okay, I get your point. And I've been thinking about it. You know, it's like he planted a seed in me at that point. Yeah. Or at least that's how I took it. And I have been thinking about it. Okay, is there a way that we can optimize all areas of life? Hmm. Why not? I, I, I love that. I mean, for me, I, my life is very much oriented around that same question, that, that optimizing yeah. right. both mindset and heart set and belly set and, and what have you. Exactly. So. <laughs> Right. So I think it is a matter of uh, those uh, those of us who want to uh, uh, put our energy and our effort into that, yeah. you know, in addition to how, you know, excuse me, we optimize our own individual journey yeah. through the path, we can also explore beyond uh, that uh, how and the path doesn't prescribe that because as I said it is a, a spiritual path but as individuals we can begin to explore 
how do we optimize our lives individually? How do I optimize my relationships? Mm. My intimate relationships, my friendships, my relationships with co-workers, you know, whether I'm working within the school, like for myself as a teacher, I work with other teachers, or if I, if people work outside into a, in a company, how do we optimize our relationships with this company, with our co-workers in the company? And uh, how do we optimize our political participation in our society? We all participate in politics. We vote or we don't vote. That's a that's a way of participation. Or we take action in a variety of ways. How can we do that in a way that is in alignment with our realization, with the truth of what we realized? Mm. You know? I think that's an individual uh, process for each one of us. And different people who have a common interest can get together and begin to talk about it and see how can we do that? Who knows? Maybe there is a, you know, a new political party comes out, you know, the Diamond Politics Party. <laughs> you know, that is a world party, you know, the whole world, uh, you know. People who think like that begin to organize and to start think, thinking, how can we actually transform our societies into a better way of functioning that supports all people to, instead of struggling for survival, you know, uh, their needs, their basic needs being met so that people can be supported to begin to turn inwardly and begin to explore their true nature. Mm. Why not? Why not, Mom? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, you are uh, the title of your uh, program, Pearl Dialogues. Mm. I think because this is the pearl, the pearl is the unique expression of each soul. Each soul is a unique pearl. Mm. And that is another thing I love about the Diamond Approach is that it honors and supports and nurtures the pearliness of each soul, the uniqueness of each soul. Yeah. Right? So some souls, some pearls will be interested in exploring the possibility of how to transform our societies so that we can support more and more human beings to turn inwardly and realize their true nature. Some pearls will be interested in something else. That's perfectly fine. I'm not saying everybody should be interested in this. Yeah. I'm saying that this is a burning interest in this particular pearl here, Andreas, this soul. <laughs> yes. Yeah? Very good. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm, I'm in touch with the pearliness in this in this very moment. You know, my own pearl, your pearl, uh, feeling the characteristics of both, and and how it's coming uh -huh. expression and been expressed throughout this conversation. It's a beautiful exchange, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, another thing, I think, I woke up this morning, yeah, and this phrase came to me. Mm -hmm. He said. The diamond approach belongs to the young people. Hmm. And I've been thinking, what does it mean? 
why did this phrase come to me? Of course, you know, it was in my consciousness that, you know, I will be meeting with you this morning and you are a young person in comparison to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, you are a young person, too, not just in comparison to me. <laughs> but there is something in that message that came to me. The diamond approach belongs to the young people. And I think the world belongs to the young people. Love, life, life belongs to the young people. For the young people to take the diamond approach and practice it and realize who they really are at their depth and then create a reality, a society, a world, a life, personally, uh, you know, their immediate family, their extended family, their society and their world, you know, the young people, and of course, I'm not excluding myself from that from that uh, task. You know, I will do what I whatever I can for as long as I am alive to bring that about. But I think it is mostly the task of the younger generation and generations to really take this inspiration and see how far we can take it in the next. Uh, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, and then and then hand the baton on to the next generations to take it on. And then, you know, maybe in 200, 300, 400 years, who knows what we will have on this planet. Aho. Aho. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, I think that the diamond approach, uh, you remember uh, Einstein said, we need a world religion to unify humanity. I think the diamond approach is that spiritual path that is not in opposition to any other religion or spiritual path. And it is so broad and so deep that all the realizations of all the different spiritual traditions find their place in this diamond. They're all facets of this re diamond realization, you know? So I think that the diamond approach can become that focal point where uh, humanity can evolve around and unite because it is not in opposition to anything. It is not in opposition to any religion, any spiritual tradition, any human being, any belief system. I think in the Diamond Approach, uh, all aspirations of all human beings can find their fulfillment. I resonate with that. I, and I agree with that perspective. That's I see that same potential actually for the for the teaching. Yeah, how it can play a role in the evolution of humanity as a whole. Yeah. So time will tell to what will happen. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I guess this podcast is an attempt to share this teaching with the world. Really, to share the, exactly 
the presence of the teaching with the world in a way that is personal, that is relatable, hopefully to to people listening and and value, brings value to people's lives and, and right. Yeah. yeah, and it is uh, very applicable in the world that we live in today. Yeah, podcast. I mean, we, yeah, <laughs> podcast, uh, hatred, like we have a teaching about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, my God, you know, what is the, one of the greatest issues in the world today? Hatred. Yeah. There's a teaching about hatred. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel this is a good opportunity for us to listen to the song, huh? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> I spent a thousand sleepless nights in weight of dreams I could not find I walked a thousand empty roads In search of signs to bring me home With every breath I spoke your name With every breath I spoke your name And heard it rolling in the way of ocean blue I broke illusion from the truth you said walk to me and I'll find you
beautiful song uh, it is uh, you know it is the soul uh, as i imagine it uh, the soul is singing to the depth the mystery the true nature you know that perceives this mystery that appears within and guides us and appears as a pearl and uh, and i love the particular uh, part where the mystery response and says uh, call me and I'll come to you walk to me and I'll run to you <laughs> so beautiful huh? <laughs> but it is for you mm. it is for you and that is that expresses that uh, that personalness for each individual and the valuing of each individual the mystery manifests for you. I feel this is a beautiful space, place to round off this episode with those last words from you. Thank you for sharing the song. Thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom, sharing your perspectives, sharing your presence. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed it very much. Yeah, you're most welcome. My pleasure, Vazi, and uh, and thank you. Thank you for sharing your soul with me and your uh, joy and celebration and smile. <laughs> and thank you for inviting me to this uh, wonderful program that you have created. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Great service you are doing. Mm.